0: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan.
1: And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco.
0: Alyssa, when you see a dessert and it's mm-hmm. green and mm-hmm. you have no other information besides the fact that it's a green dessert, what flavor do you hope it is?
1: Pistachio.
0: Oh, same. See, this is right?
1: why. Right? What else? What else? Don't give me key some lime. matcha shit. Key, key, key lime. Key lime's good, Key Key
0: I think I see a green dessert, and when I was younger, I would say pistachio or GTFO. But as I've gotten older, my palate has become more refined. And, like, if it's matcha, I'm like, yes, delightful, matcha. If it is key lime, I could even fuck with a key lime. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Green apple is is where I'm like, "Mm -mm, mm-mm. Oh, no, no.
1: Why would we want that? If it's green and it's green apple, it's a Jolly Rancher.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's some sort of, like, personality alignment. It's also cultural, right? Like, if you grew up eating, like, green tea yeah. or, like, you like the flavor Italian, of matcha. And Italian,
1: and it's like Italian is very, there's pistachio everywhere. It's so good, though. If you're Pistachio's in a German so household and someone gives you something green, you should fucking run. <laughs> <laughs> there's no acceptable green German dessert, I promise you. Uh, do not you want this cabbage cake? Cabbage cake. <laughs> <laughs> Sauerkraut.
0: This week, we are joined by Kara Clank and Julisa Arce to take on the following questions. Are we actually on the verge of unfucking Wisconsin? How is collective grief rewiring our brains? And how can the perfect strudel recipe bring a family together? All this and more right now. All right, Alyssa, this week we are going to talk about the news and we're gonna keep it. Positive. So, if yeah. you're listening to this, yeah, I, I feel like listeners are going to hear this and be like, "Yeah," but all the bad stuff is happening. Don't worry, we will get to all the. We'll bad get stuff to that. Happening.
2: We
3: We're going to give
0: the bad stuff. Yes, we're going to give the bad stuff its due. The bad stuff is the giant three car attached garage to the bungalow of happiness that is uh, <laughs> the news segment this week. So let's get into it. Uh, let's get into. I guess this is sort of like um, you know how there are too many superhero movies. Yes. You know, this is sort of like the Avengers, but of democracy, and nobody has any cool powers. The only cool (laughs) power people have is, like, doing their fucking jobs. I was just saying, hanging out together. (laughs) Yeah, hanging out, doing some interesting interesting Zoom calls where everybody has, like, their assistants figuring out the sound. Um, (laughs) A group of 20 Democratic governors on Tuesday announced that they're forming a super (laughs) team— Well, coalition. They're calling it a coalition. I want sure. them to use super, I don't know. Super a just,
1: team is better. Coalition A Super sounds. team
0: <laughs> to protect and expand abortion access in their states um, because, as as we all know, bans are being enacted all over the place following the fall of Roe v. Wade. So the initiator of this was California Governor Gavin Newsom. I gotta say,
1: He's- I like him. Firing on all cylinders right now.
0: He is firing on all cylinders. He is—he is a fancy boy. He's a fancy, fancy boy. But I really like my governor,
1: Aaron. Totally unrelated. Can we do an episode once where we just talk in old timey speak? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I don't know yeah. why Gavin Newsom made me think of that, but I wanted to be like—I don't know. I just yeah. put it the back of your head. Maybe he's, an he's, April Fool's episode.
0: He's just like a fancy boy who looks like he, he has is. um, looks like he smells like expensive men's cologne, witch hazel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like California rich, like Joan Didion rich. You know, yes, like Cal- yes, Not not like not like flashy old money, like vineyard old money. Like he's he's got that those vibes. So Gavin Newsom put this together. It is called the Reproductive Freedom Alliance, which mm. is. Sounds like a super team name. Here are the states that are involved. California, like I said, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, of course, Michigan. Michigan is killing it. Minnesota, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Washington, and Wisconsin. So what do you think of this uh, super team, Alyssa?
1: You know, I mean, look, something is always better than nothing. It's not entirely clear what they can do because these are all governors from states where abortion is still hanging on sort of by a thread. But also a lot of governors who preside over states with uh, Republican legislatures that are obviously uh, perilous. So I'm like, good for them. Look, Mm -hmm. anybody who's trying to solve a problem these days instead of just talking about the problem is a plus in my column. Absolutely. And I wanted to point
0: out really quickly, um, Pennsylvania and Michigan are two great examples of states where things could have gone very differently. Yep. Um, Wisconsin also. Wisconsin has a... Hanging. ...gerrymandered, all-to-fuck legislature, and Governor Tony Evers is is pretty much the only thing standing between that state and just complete chaos at this point. I was also... Um, encouraged by North Carolina's Roy Cooper being involved in this mm-hmm. that's uh it's a politically risky move and it takes some guts for him to stand up for something as divisive in a state that's as purple as his state so totally. uh prop, props to Governor Roy Cooper um let's let's talk a little bit more about Wisconsin though because okay. speaking of Wisconsin God, how many people are in that state? Like five million people, six million people? I don't know. I had to take Wisconsin Something history like in fourth grade.
1: Right. Maybe someone will tell us in the course of that, this conversation. You
0: know, this this little this little state really takes up a lot of oxygen in it all of the ways that things can go poorly. Oh,
1: Alyssa's looking it up. I'm looking it up. The population, Aaron, 5.896 million. You were literally on the money. Thank you.
0: I do remember one thing from fourth grade. I remember (laughs) that uh, Robert LaFollette was a guy and uh, that the population of Wisconsin at the time was around 5 million people. Okay, Mm. so Wisconsin continues to be a really important lab Uh, for the mad scientists of American democracy, and I mean that in the worst way possible. It has become a testing ground for a lot of conservative policies, for a lot of conservative activism, for conservative uh, gerrymandering, for anti-democratic policies. But despite all of those things, voters in the Badger State continue to fight back. It, it always feels like they're having a like end of days final battle, and this, this feels like another one of them. And, and I'm actually encouraged by it. So on Tuesday, there is a four-way primary in Wisconsin for a Supreme Court seat on the state Supreme Court. Right. The state Supreme Court in Wisconsin, uh, all of the members serve 10-year terms. Yep. And the balance of the court is currently four to three with a slight conservative majority thanks to a uh, liberal winning the last Supreme Court election that I believe happened in 2020. Okay. So there is a Wisconsin Supreme Court seat up for grabs because a conservative justice is retiring because they're terming out. And there were four candidates running for that seat. Two liberals. Two conservatives. And as of Wednesday morning, with almost all the votes counted, uh, left-leaning slash liberal slash pro-democracy candidate, Janet Protasewicz, who is a judge in Milwaukee currently, won the most votes. Uh, she won 445,196 votes or 46.4% of the total. The second highest vote getter was a conservative by the name of Daniel Kelly, who used to be a Wisconsin state Supreme Court justice. He received only 24.2% of the vote. Now, mm-hmm. the reason that I find this encouraging, even th- so so protosewitz and Kelly are moving on to the general, which happens in April, and there's going to be all kinds of money, all kinds of mudslinging in between now and then. Um, and this was just a primary, right? But Protus-Sewitz got more votes by herself than the next two candidates
1: combined. We love to see it.
0: We love to see it.
1: So even if, and
0: if you add in the 7.5% of the vote that the other left leaning candidate got, She would have gotten over half of the vote, and there's no way that you can win a two-way election when one candidate gets more than half of the vote. So I'm encouraged by proto showing from everything I've read, everything I've heard about this race, she is on top of it. She is organized. She is ready to run this race. She's raising money. She raised money. She organized. And uh, she's going to have to be ready because what is coming for the next couple months for Wisconsinites is going to be... I'm going to say a almost
1: Pennsylvanian level slew of ads. I was going to say cage match. WWE cage match.
0: I I feel like it's going to be like Fetterman Oz esque. The level of ads, the number of ads, the amount of money, the amount of attention. And, oh, guys, I haven't lived in Wisconsin since I was 18, right? No offense. I just—college was elsewhere, and I didn't really have a reason to move back. However, I care very deeply about what happens in that state. And if Protosawitz wins in April, there are so many things Wisconsin can do. Remember how we were talking about Michigan? Yes. Michigan being a great example of how if you live in a state where it seems like things are stacked against you— you have to keep fighting because what happens if you keep fighting and you win is you get a Democratic governor, a Democratic state legislature, and a Democratic uh, state Supreme. You, you get the ability to get things done that you never thought you'd have the ability to do. So right. what is in between Wisconsin citizens and getting things done that is that are representative to them and their interests is literally flipping the seat. If this seat flips, if the Supreme Court flips, the Supreme Court can revisit the way the state is districted. Right now as it stands, I'm going to pull this up cuz I couldn't believe it when I read it. Um Wisconsin right now is so gerrymandered that even if conservatives lose by something like 16 points, right? They would retain control of the state legislature. It is That's uh, an expunger. It is an extreme—it It is a—it's uh, called efficiency gap. Wisconsin's efficiency gap is so skewed in favor of Republicans that even if the state were not basically divided 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans, with Democrats having a slight edge, uh, Republicans would still win. That is anti-democratic, but the state yes. has really, really worked to try to entrench that. Flip this seat, you can revisit that map. Flip this seat, you can also overturn— a pre-Civil War area abortion ban that's still on the books, thereby protecting bodily autonomy for women across the state and for women in neighboring states, women from other parts of the country that might right. want to receive abortion care in Wisconsin. Um, it's a big, big election. Um Alyssa, I know I've, I've been kind of like rambling about this, but I would love to no. hear your thoughts.
1: I'm into it. No, what else is there to add? Like, you're totally right. This is This is so important. And it goes to what you and I have been talking about for years. And it's not like we're geniuses or anything. But it's like, it's coming down to all the local elections. That's what this is. It's like paying attention. Like, yes, when people run for president, it's exciting and whatever, but these are the elections that are actually going to impact people's lives. Like this, mm-hmm. this Supreme Court seat is, I mean, it is, it is the, it is the dam between, between health In Wisconsin and not. Between women Mm -hmm. having reproductive freedom and not. Um, And and it is, uh, you can't overstate it, Erin, and I don't think you have. I also want to point out
0: that conservatives have controlled the Wisconsin
1: State Supreme Court for 14 years.
0: And the proof is in the pudding, guys. The proof is in the pudding. Wisconsin has many, many great people in it. A lot of great ideas. Great public university system that over the last 14 years has been just completely shat on by elected officials. the state is going downhill, and it's not because the people in the state of Wisconsin are bad. It's because no. the government fucking sucks. And this is this is like Wisconsinites' chance to start writing the ship. Who knows? Yes. Maybe Wisconsin can be the next Michigan. I would. Anything I would be is into
1: possible. It. Anything, Anything is, possible is possible in America's Dairyland. I just think if you take a look at the Upper
0: Midwest, like the Great Lakes Midwest, you know Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, Michigan, right? Yes. Imagine a cozy little little blue area up there, Beautiful the North Coast, lakes. if you will, it's, the it's North perfect. Coast. Yeah, I I think Wisconsinites deserve to be fairly represented by both of their both their Supreme Court and their state legislature. And this this needs to happen. Oh, my gosh, guys, all the vibes, all the vibes to voters (laughs) in Wisconsin. Um,
1: Oh, let's talk about Jimmy Carter.
0: I sounded cheerful.
1: Sounds cheerful. Uh, Alyssa. Why don't you talk about Jimmy Carter? Here's why we want to talk about Jimmy Carter. Because even though over the weekend we heard that President Carter had opted for hospice care now uh, at his end of life, um, which is sad, but it is really important to celebrate his life. And what is kind of awesome is celebrating his life when knowing he might hear everybody celebrate his life, you know, and remember all the incredible things he's done. And I heard one... The Camp David Accords, where he ended the state of war that had existed between Israel and Egypt for uh, since 1948, Uh, big deal. Nobel Peace Prize in 2002, huge deal for all of his um, like work being a humane humanitarian, where he's trying to end conflicts peacefully around the globe. I mean, the man's incredible all of his work with Habitat for Humanity, building, building houses for people his entire fucking life. But I read a story that I had not heard before about Jimmy Carter, young Jimmy Carter, when he was known as Lieutenant James Earl Carter back in 1952. There was an incident in Canada known as the Chalk River uh, Nuclear Lab partial meltdown. It was a nuclear reactor outside of Ottawa. It partially melted down and they called in a, uh, a group of uh Navy, Navy folks from America. One of them was Jimmy Carter. And Aaron, do you want to know how they like fixed the melting down nuclear reactor? Yes. Uh Jimmy Carter led a team of uh Navy men, and uh they built a replica because there's obviously all this radioactive material. They had to have an app, they had to have a full game plan before they went in and tried to disassemble this nuclear reactor. So they built a replica and learned how to take it apart piece by piece. And the reason that they had to do this is because maximum each one of these uh navy men. What the fuck do you call someone who's in the navy? A navy man? Midshipman? Midshipman. Midshipman. So. All these guys from the navy <laughs> <laughs> they could only spend 90 seconds in the reactor. They went in knowing that they could very well not have the ability to have kids because of all the radioactivity. And uh, they did it. They, they And what he learned helped him deal with the Three Mile Island crisis later on in 1979 in Pennsylvania, which was a also terrible catastrophe. But I mean Aaron, this guy is a fucking hero and I feel like everyone's like, "Oh, nice Jimmy Carter, he's such a nice man." I mean, that's like some as you would say, that's some metal shit.
0: <laughs> mhm. Oh yeah, and speaking of metal shit, when he was not reelected in uh, 1980 when he yep. lost, he got depressed like a normal human. Um and he's talked about the fact that he got depressed after losing the election. But he did not quit doing the work that he set out to do. He just kept right. doing it. It
1: exactly. didn't. He didn't need
0: to be the president to do the things that he wanted to do, although it would have been a good—you know, I guess with the benefit of hindsight now and knowing what a catastrophically destructive asshole Ronald Reagan was, mm. I think maybe more people should have been depressed after the 1980 election, but that's neither here nor there. Jimmy Carter made it his life's mission, one of his life's many missions, to eliminate uh guinea worm, which is a horrible what? disease. Yeah. I didn't okay. know this.
1: This see, we're he, sharing and caring today about Jimmy Carter. Yeah, the,
0: the Carter Center, um, which him and his wife founded, him, by the way, Hall of Fame relationship. Jimmy totally. and Rosalind Carter. Hall of Fame relationship. Um, I think they were married for 75 years, which is like Crazy. Um, crazy. They co-founded the Carter Center. Um, and one of the missions of the Carter Center was to eliminate guinea worm, which is a disease that that impacted billions of people around the world in the developing, quote unquote, developing world. And it's been eliminated from, I pulled this up, I think 70 countries. It's been eliminated ah. from 70 countries. And um, yeah, like imagine that kind of a single-minded focus on a thing that you're like, you know what? That is something yep. that I think I can make a difference in. Like, it's incredible that he was able to do that. His work with Habitat for Humanity, when he was in mm-hmm. his 90s, he's out there swinging a hammer. Totally. I, I, he he sets such a good example of what it is to care about your country and to show that you care by engaging in a way that is, like, not about gaining yourself money or fame or right. – Cable news contracts. He was out there rolling up his sleeves and actually doing shit. And I wish, I wish more people would look to him as like an example of of how to age in this country and how to how to matter to this country. And God, what a good guy! I also want to add one final thing. Um, I have a friend that I jokingly put myself in his phone as Jimmy Carter like years ago. <laughs> and now uh, we're not like close friends, but every time I text him. It comes up that Jimmy Carter is texting him. Like (laughs) so, this past weekend, I was like, "I'm still alive." And so it was pulling up, popping up on his phone. Jimmy Carter was. That is very
1: funny, Jimmy (laughs) Carter. Thank
0: you for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everything. And um, they broke the mold when they made him, and uh, Mm -hmm. hopefully we can try to put it back together again because we need more Jimmy's Carter. Um, Do we want to talk about Don Lemon? Do we? We don't want to. But we should mention it,
1: right? We can. It's a hot mess. Morning TV is, it's a hot mess starting at 6 a.m. on CNN. I gotta say,
0: Alyssa, I have been doing the thing where I am at home with a baby a lot now. And um, I always thought that morning TV was something that, you know, if you're, it's something that you watch after you've gotten the kids ready for school or after you, when you're feeding the kids breakfast or whatever, I have not had a single moment of the time when I've been like semi staying at home with my daughter where I've been like, I want to watch morning television. (laughs) Not a one time. I watch it every day. (laughs) Oh God. I don't understand. Like, I guess it's just not for me, but you'd think it would be for me, but it's not
1: for me. It's, I mean, I don't know that it's I mean, honestly, Aaron, let's be honest. It is for me. It is. I am their target demo. <laughs> I mean, I am. I am. It is the it is the basicness in my DNA. But I have watched all of the morning shows. I I mean, I flip between almost all of them. But ever since they they launched the new CNN lineup, I was like really going to give them a chance. And uh-huh. uh, it's chaos. There is no yeah. other way to put it. It is Don Lemon. listen. I don't know Don Lemon. He is not a—I'm not a friend of mine. Not like I don't—I just don't know him at all. But I'm telling you, I feel like maybe 10 p.m. was a better time slot for him, East Coast, yeah. than 6 a.m. It yeah. feels like he is struggling to not say some crazy shit in the morning. Right. Okay,
0: so th- what he said was last Thursday when they were discussing the uh, presidential candidacy of former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley— She's 51 years old, by the way, which is— Young, young. I'm by,
1: 47 like, today. I am. I am 47. Is the new? Is the new 47? And I'm in. You my and Nikki prime Haley done. would have been in high. Sc- yes. Could have been in
0: high school at the same we time. We could have been. Like have. just and and that's not saying that you're old. It's saying that like she's no, pretty fine. young. She's pretty we're in the young. Prime. Right. There are a lot of like crappy things, mean things that you can say that are true about Nikki Haley. But what Don Lemon said is not one of them. He implied that uh, Nikki Haley at 51, quote, isn't in her prime. Okay. Like, I think what we were implying when we were discussing morning TV is that it is made for and with the intention, made for women, with the intention that women will watch it. Right. And uh, I don't know why a person who whose brain would even go there would be put in a time slot
1: that is watched by so many people who would be directly offended I mean, by that comment. Can you can you go back like if we think that time somehow represents progress, right? Could you imagine if Bryant Gumbel or Tom Brokaw or any anchor in the early 80s or 90s had said a woman wasn't in her prime? anymore it's unthinkable that those words would come out of someone's mouth it is unthinkable and uh and and he did it and he's also said other weird shit and the funny thing is because i have watched this since it launched i've seen almost every one of these incidents like unravel in real time and a couple months ago he said um He was talking about women's soccer and saying that, that, yeah, women's soccer shouldn't make as much money as the men because they don't make as much money as the men. And it's like, wait, Don, what? That is that is a rich argument. Like that is (sighs) he can't uh, he can't. So he got benched for a day, but he was back this morning. And let me tell you, it was a a very stilted dynamic on the uh, on the TV this morning. Yeah. Um, He did
0: apologize for the comments about Nikki Haley. He said, I believe that women of any age can do whatever they set their minds to. The people I'm closest to in this organization are women. The people I seek counsel from most in this organization are women. Okay. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial here. And I'm saying it because there are things that I cannot say. I just want to tell our listeners, you know, I used to do some work with CNN Um, I used to do on-air stuff with, like, HLN, so I've been in and around that network a fair amount. What Don Lemon said does not seem out of character for other things that I've heard about Mm -hmm. Don Lemon. Um, and I will also say that I've been on air with him before. He's been perfectly nice to me, totally fine, but just because he is nice to me doesn't mean that he's, like, always on his best behavior with everybody. Um, He's, he, he was fine to me, but I had heard stories from people who had no reason to make things up telling me that he has said some things that are kind of wild. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to say Don Lemon is, you know, I know a woman, some of my best friends are women, is like a pretty crappy apology. And it reminds me a little bit of sometimes as, as a straight cis woman, I have spent time around gay men who have gotten a little bit familiar uh, or felt like they were entitled to say things to me that they shouldn't say. And I think it's because they're not straight that they think that they can say those things to me, that it's like, cool, like, we're cool, we're cool, right? Um, it, It doesn't really matter what your sexuality is or what your gender identity is that doesn't disqualify you from possibly being a misogynist. A woman can be a right. misogynist. A gay guy can be a misogynist. A trans person can be a misogynist. A non-binary person can be a misogynist. Your identity does not mean that you get a pass and you can say things that are like wilder and ruder about women than other people are allowed to say. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's more, Alyssa. I will spill the tea when we're no longer recording. Of but, course. Um, yeah,
1: but... Don Lemon, what can we say? Yeah, (laughs) this is this is
0: probably not the first time he's ever said something that made people uh, bristle, but it is one of the most recent times and it was on air. So there's no denying it. And there's no he said, she said. And um, yeah, I mean, but you know what else
1: is interesting, Aaron? If you and I were doing this podcast right now, right, and I said some wild shit and you started like giving me the heads up like Alyssa, I think you might be saying some wild shit. I'd be picking up what you were putting down. Every single mm-hmm. time he has said something nuts on television, everyone on, you can see them trying to be like, yo, what are you doing? Hey. You might want, and he just keeps going. <laughs> and it's like, look around you. People are making eye contact with you. They are uncomfortable. They're your co-hosts. And it's like, he just keeps going. And he says things like, Google it, Google it. I'm not making it up. Just Google it. And it's like, no, mm. I'm watching you because I'm busy and don't want to Google. Oh my goodness!
0: Yeah, they need to develop some sort of like ear pulling.
1: Yeah, some hey, Carol Burnett dear, action, that's like that's like you yeah. have you have dove into the deep end, and there is no like where your life uh, rests right now.
0: <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> there's uh there have been I've tried to
0: employ like boundary setting phrases in in some conversations, like you know in my life because that's what they teach you to do in therapy, and mm-hmm. I'll say things now like. I'm disengaging from this conversation, or I think you're saying things that you don't really know the 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 facts behind, or like stuff right. like that. They they need some sort of. I feel like people on air should be more empowered to be like, "Hey, th- you don't know what you're talking about. Let's move on." Right. Oh man. Um. Yeah. I mean, look. I don't really care that he said it. I care that he thought it, and until he can show that he fixed whatever is underneath, um. Whatever led him to think those things, what until he has taken steps to retrain himself to be more correct and less incorrect, uh,
1: I don't know that anybody should really like accept his apology because apologies are just words, right? Right. And it's like, you know, they, they, CNN released a statement saying that he'd be undergoing quote unquote formal training. And Aaron, I can't help it, but it reminded me of that episode of Veep where Jonah can't stop saying terrible things as a candidate and they send him to sensitivity training. And he's so awful that the people lose their mind on him and call him terrible things. And to me, this is like, okay, formal training, let us know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what formal training that would actually. A, per, a man of that age how do you how do you teach a man of that age to unlearn that i don't know just google it <laughs> yeah just google it all right we have to take a break when we come back we are going to get into how to handle the news when it feels like it is crushingly bad
1: Yeah. I have I refuse to be uncomfortable if I want to be productive. I refuse (laughs) to be uncomfortable, but
0: sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time.
1: Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. your clothes
1: still look new. <laughs> so fancy.
0: Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back, Alyssa. I heard some sad news. I mean, I'm you always to hearing be, sad news. You need news. to be
1: clearer. You need to be. I need
0: to be okay. I need to be more specific. Um, yes. I heard some sad news that was sad in a in a meta kind of way. Okay. Um, there there was there's been some research coming out lately about how sad everyone is and how crushed everybody is by this constant deluge of bad information of bad stories and we can't quite figure out why um young women girls teenage girls are incredibly sad the amount of um the amount of violence against them is uh, increasing especially for members of the LGBTQ community um and a lot of them are reporting feeling depressed um, feeling you know like hopeless and uh that's that's something that nobody quite knows why and there's a lot of kind of guessing going around like oh they're on their phones they can't connect with each other uh, but we really don't know what is at the root of like a massive trend downward in the uh, collective mental health of young people there's also more research saying that uh the entire country not just teenagers but people of all different age groups are wrapped in, quote, collective grief from things like school shootings and the pandemic. And that's changing the way that our brains work. So collective grief for our purposes um, occurs when a group of people like a city, country, or those belonging to a particular race or ethnicity share an extreme loss. Um, So I wanted to kind of talk about this kind of sense of collective grief grief that's pervasive but also kind of both defined and undefined like there are scapegoats that we can put po- we can point to but we don't really know for sure why we're all feeling sad all the time. So this is going to be a great and uplifting topic. And so, of course, the first person that we're bringing in to talk about this is a comedian so that we don't all slowly walk into the sea after uh, we we get done with this conversation. Everyone can listen to our first panelist on That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast, and LA folks can catch her at Better Half Comedy on Wednesdays at Bar Bandini. Oh, I love Better Half Comedy. It's so fun.
2: <laughs> Kara Clank, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. Take those rocks out of your pockets, everyone. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Kara says, don't walk into the sea. Don't walk into the sea. Do not walk into the (laughs) sea.
0: How are you doing? You're in another hotel. I'm good. Another day,
2: another hotel. Um, But I'm I'm doing okay. Maybe being on the road keeps me from experiencing too much collective grief because I don't have time to think. (laughs) Um.
0: (laughs) Do you ever... um, play a game with yourself where you pretend that you're on the run from the law?
2: Ooh. No, but I should. You should. <laughs> you, you and Lisa can spice it up. The, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we would get caught pretty quick, but <laughs> we're promoting the <laughs> hell out of ourselves. <laughs> Everyone knows where we're going to be at every moment.
0: Yeah, but that's why
2: it's the perfect plan. You're going to run
0: away from the law and advertise where you're going to go. The cops would be like, they wouldn't possibly be putting on shows. I don't know. Let's a new episode of Poker Face maybe, right? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, I love that show.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, it's hit or miss for me. I I, I say I
2: love it. I've only watched the first one. I've only watched the first one. And I liked that.
0: The first one is the best one. Anyway, but we can talk more about it in Sanity Corner because I've got some thoughts on it. Okay. (laughs) For sure. Uh, And rounding out the panel today, she is so kind. She's plugging someone else's work
3: in her intro.
0: What? Julissa, I'm going to let you plug your friend's work.
3: Jalisa, yeah. Arce- so you know, I think people by now know my broken record of like go buy my "You Sound Like a White Girl" book. So everybody should already be doing that. And I thought I'm mm-hmm. really, really, really excited about my friend Jose Olivares' new poetry collection called "Promises of Gold." And I have read every poem like multiple times, and it is so good. It's so beautiful, and he writes poetry about like everyday things about love. There's a, there's a poem about a yellow cab in New York city. And it is like, you will cry when you read this and, and then be like, I, I like, you know, I, I want to be more in love because of this poem. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful book. And my friend is beautiful and he's just wonderful person. And everybody should go buy his book, Promises of Gold.
0: Ooh, Color Me Intrigued, um, because I've never found romance around taxis, and I think a real talented (laughs) poet could maybe uh, foster that connection. Um, Okay, so, Julissa, I want to start with you today. When you hear the phrase collective grief, do you know, do you have a sense of what it means for you? Do you feel like you've participated in collective grief?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that... um there are certain moments and certain events that um, do feel very much like the whole country's grieving at the same time, like the whole community is grieving at the same time, that the whole world is grieving at the same time. Um, and I have sometimes a hard time with it because I feel like I'm so sad about this thing that didn't happen to me directly. Right. And I, and I, and I don't want to ever, like, insert my my feelings as being, like, the most important thing in talking about collective grief because clearly there are people who are directly impacted by these things that are feeling the consequences of these things. Um, and at the same time, I try to not dismiss my own feelings about it because they're real. You know, when I, um, when I feel, like, a really... An example I've used in the past for me is like when the shooting in El, in El Paso happened,
1: right?
3: Like that was because it was directly targeted to Mexicans and, and Latinos and that's my community. Like I definitely felt like so depressed about it for such a long time. Um, and at the same time, I was like, I didn't know anybody personally that 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 was shot and killed. And yet like it still really, really hit me and it still really, really impacted me. And I think for me, what makes some of this collective grief worse sometimes is why don't more people care you know like when i see sort of the apathy um of of people uh, about certain events and not others right like i mean listen i was really sad about uh, when notre dame um burned you know i thought it was really sad like like a lot of people were and it was also really fair when people were saying how come you care about that so much and not about all these other things that are happening, um, you know, that are happening in communities that are already marginalized and not heard. And um, and I think that to me makes it worse, like when there isn't a collective grief around some of these events.
0: Kara, mm-hmm. uh, what do you make of the term collective grief? And do you um, have you ever found yourself kind of caught up in it?
2: Yeah, I mean I definitely f- have for sure have. I mean, I feel like the summer of black lives matter that was that was the of the George Floyd protests and everything, I was just feeling like so like despondent about like the state of the world and then I feel like I'm even more tuned in to when people are when like the collective grief yield something good like when i see like a meme account earning like 2 million dollars for a cause in an hour i'm like people are good like i don't know i just sort of feel like the the collective grief sort of heightens my sensitivity to like when then people are reacting and 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 like activating around cre- cre- uh, collective grief but um no it definitely affects me and i do feel like sometimes i push it away And other times I'm like, no, you have to look at this. You have to read this. Like, my husband has been doing a big thing in the last couple of years of ignoring the news, and it drives me insane because I'm like, you just can't, you can't like turn away from these things. And now he's luckily getting back into the news so that I don't have to divorce him. But (laughs) like, you know, I do think sometimes we can turn away, and maybe that's okay a little bit for our, our mental health. But overall, we have to be keyed into these cultural, these cultural like moments of grief because. I don't know. What are we without them? It's, Mm -hmm. it feels like we're already so isolated on phones and screens and social media and things that we're talking about. And so sometimes I do feel like that these big things are bringing people together in a weird way. I don't know. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Well, well, there was the
0: the, the piece that I brought up at the beginning, um, which is from CNBC about how collective grief kind of like rewires our brains. Mm -hmm. um, that, makes sense what you're saying, Kara, about like checking in and checking out. And Julissa, what you were saying about like, you know, understanding that, you know, not centering your own feelings in in your response to uh, a bad event, but also acknowledging that your feelings are valid. Um, I have noticed that a change in the way that I react to bad news or b- bad news, like tragedy. And I'll use the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria as an example. Um I cannot stop thinking about it. I cannot stop thinking about it. Um it, and it's just like the scale of it is like unfathomable to me. I I can't like wrap my head around it. Um I like you know and again this I'm not trying to send cent- the center my own feelings or emotional response here, but one of my like recurring nightmares is Like earthquakes. I live in an earthquake zone. I've been into like minor LA, you know, rumbles where everybody runs to Twitter and is like, hey, earthquake. Um, And imagining the fear that these people must have endured as their houses like collapsed around them and looking for their families. And I, I, I don't know why, but I can't stop like watching videos of like, there were there are videos of these two little girls being rescued sisters and the the older sister was like holding the younger one and and i and every time i watch something like that it just like feels like it's scraping something it's it's like a raw wound almost you know and and like trying to wrap my head around what these people are going through and just my heart sort of breaking for them i don't think 5 or 6 years ago i would have reacted in the same way And, and I think that part of it is, I don't know, maybe it's just the way that like having a kid sort of like rewires your brain and like really supercharged my, whatever parts of me were really empathetic. I feel even more strongly like that, but I do feel like in some ways my just push to just constantly like look at videos, read articles, uh, try to, try to give money, like worry about the people, think about the people, think about what they're going through, it's like maladaptive in a certain way because like there's not I can I can't do anything. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not there. I'm not pulling people out of the rubble. I'm just sitting here in the safety of my comfortable house and my comfortable life and feeling bad about what other people are going through. And I don't know what what's going on there. Alyssa, you're like nodding your head. You were when you worked in the White House, you
1: were like right up I saw in it terrible when terrible things. Um, I think, so a couple things. One, just as as we talk about this, I feel like social media and the 24-7 news cycle has so much to do with it because like when I was growing up, I can remember the truly terrible things that happened, like the big news stories. And all of them, even then, even as a little kid, you could be like, that would never happen to me. The shuttle exploding, you know, the things that you would see on the nightly news, they were things that would never happen to you. So you would feel badly But you wouldn't, there wasn't a like, my God, this is happening and it can happen to anyone. It's not like that it can happen to me, but it's like it can happen to anyone. And now you see, like when we were watching what happened in Syria and you're right, like when I was in the White House, part of my job was coordinating uh, interagency and White House responses to tragedies. So I was on the phone with people in Newtown hours after the shooting. I was in Haiti two days after the earthquake. Um and you know my my job in Haiti was helping to repatriate american bodies like that's fucking weird shit but that's that's not even what gets me now so much it's like jalisa you were talking about el paso well part of that part of that isn't even centering yourself i don't think it's like for me i go to the fucking walmart you know that's all those people did all they did was fucking go to walmart that day and i think that that is part of You know, I go to the last time I went to a really big concert with my best friend, we were sitting at Madison Square Garden and I look around. She's like, oh, my God. I was like, yeah, if something happens, we go up and over and that's the exit. And like, that's how we think now, because any almost any of these things that we see on the news can absolutely happen to any one of us. And so part of like my like when I see what's happening in Syria and Turkey I started thinking, well, you know what? So much of what happened is because Erdogan rolled back. Um, he basically forgave all of these contractors who had not uh, built to building code. And if you look at the map overhead, you can see that all the buildings, the, the hospital's still standing because it was built to code, but these other buildings weren't built to code. And he forgave all of their uh, all of their um, you know things violations, I guess is the word. And so then we see what happens in East Palestine, Ohio. Well, guess what? It can all happen fucking here too. And it is happening here because Donald Trump rolled back the regulations in 2017 that would have directly affected the brakes on trains carrying uh, hazardous chemicals. And so it's like, there's just like this weird time where it feels like no one's fucking looking out for each other. And we're we're making ourselves less safe instead of more safe. And, and to me, that's why it's so hard to watch the new... I mean, even like... The local news, like, you guys, I live in the in the woods. <laughs> I live in the woods. And I go to the bakery last week, and they're like, oh, did you hear about the shooter down at the Votex School? And it's like, what the fuck are you talking? Yes, yes, there was a guy who showed up with a gun, and everyone was okay. But, like, it literally, all of these things can just kind of happen anywhere. And I think that that is, whether it is police violence, whether it is natural disasters, like, it's just what we're seeing through the news and social media is, like, it's everywhere, and I think that's what makes it hard to move past it or not think about it all the time. You know, that's that's my two my two cents.
0: Kara, mm-hmm. uh, did you have any have there been any weeks to you like news weeks that you were like, this is so bad that it's becoming overwhelming for me? Like, I feel oh like we've gosh. had a, a bunch like in a, yeah. as, as like millennials, we've had like a bunch of them. Can you recall any like specifically like
2: that? Ugh, I can't, I mean, I can't, like, I definitely know that there were some weeks that were like shooting disaster. Like, yes, I can't remember specifically, but it's because there have been so many, like, I I don't know. It's really, I do think we're doing, uh, we try to do a little bit of self-protection. Like I try to talk it out with people and I'm like, uh, like, it just feels so, you feel very helpless, but I can't. I mean, I remember like when Trump got elected, I was like in such despair. I feel like that I felt so sick all the time. And I had, I followed that account called unfollow Trump, where it's like, you don't want to give Trump a follower because your one follower is going to make a big dent in his following or whatever. But like, um, and I had it set to an alert. So my husband was like, Kara, you wake up every morning and you read to me the crazy shit Donald Trump is saying, like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, wait, you're right. And I think that was the first time I was like, I need to sort of, do a little bit of protection from consuming constantly, or I'm going to go crazy. But I, I mean, honestly, one of the last things that happened that really got me was that, that snowstorm in Buffalo. I mean, just like people dying that just went out to go get something and like, they couldn't get to them. And like, I just, but then like back to what I was saying earlier, like I saw this woman that took in this old man, this nurse and like nursed him back to health and his hands were like about to freeze off. I couldn't send money fast enough. I mean, I was on that woman's GoFundMe immediately, like crying, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I do feel like what you're, what you're saying where, what can I do? I'm so, I'm far away. I mean, you can give money and that feels like a little bit. And you can be, ha, be have awareness and talk about it with other people, but it just you really do just feel so helpless, and especially in those weeks where it's like da 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 da, da. Like I get a little newsletter every morning that gives me ten news things, and sometimes I read through it and I'm like, how am I going to get out of bed right now? <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is crushing. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, you know. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs>
0: no, no. I mean, <laughs> I think that that's like exactly the vibe, right? Like, that's kind of how I feel these, the kind of ambient despair that sometimes just wafts in through the internet or, you know, through the TV or whatever. Um, Or sometimes, like, in your backyard, you know, because things happen, you know, like Alyssa was saying, things can happen anywhere at any time to anybody. Um, I think that it just kind of leaves you with this feeling of, like, helplessness. And um, Julissa, I wanted to pivot to you really quickly. And you're talking about El Paso. And I think there are different categories of like bad, bad news. And some of them are like bad news caused by people who made evil decisions. And then some of it is just like random disaster bad news, like uh the earthquakes, right? Although there are like human decisions that compounded the effects of the earthquakes, the earthquakes themselves were not like someone decided I'm going to do an earthquake, right? But somebody did decide to go to El Paso with a gun and specifically target Latino shoppers in a Walmart. Does some of our grief center for you, Julissa, around the awareness that evil like that exists? Or the awareness that a destructive person, all it takes is, like, one destructive person to ruin, like, dozens, hundreds, thousands of
3: people's lives? Yes, yes and no, because I think that in either situation, whether it's a random event uh, or, like, a nature-driven event that to your point is absolutely compounded by human decisions, right? Like climate change, we, you know, we can attribute a lot of these things uh, that we're talking about potentially to climate change. Um, So, yes, there is sort of that, um, there is sort of those differences between the two, the two terrible things happening. Um, I also think though that what compounds it for me, as I said, kind of really briefly at the beginning is just that like what we choose to care about, you know, and like the people who are impacted, um, I think a lot of times has to do with how collectively as a society we react to those things. Um, so I think it's more, to me, it feels like it's more that. Um, and I, look, I, I think that there's a lot of, it's a lot of things that can be true at the same time, right? It can be true that like you need to take a step away for your own kind of mental well wellbeing. Um, and at the same time, I sometimes feel really frustrated about what people choose to share on their social media versus what they don't share, right? Or even what the news chooses to cover, what the news decides is important that people should know. And, and what they decide doesn't, doesn't merit 30 seconds on air, right? Or like an Instagram story. And, so I think, and I think more times than not, the farther away we feel removed from those things, the less likely we are to care about them. Right. The less that we feel like this could happen to me, the more removed we feel from them. Um, And I don't know that that should be sort of like the the compass that or at least, you know, that I try not to use that as like the compass of like what I um, choose to like pay attention to. But there's just so much like in one week. Right. Just think about what we're talking about, the things we're talking about right now, the earthquake in Syria um, and Turkey last time i checked and this is before the second earthquake hit it was 41,000 yeah. people had died 41,000 people like i cannot i cannot even close my eyes and imagine that number of people and, that's a baseball stadium it's a right. baseball stadium full of people and and not just those people who died but the impact that the ripple effect and the impact that's going to have on their families right? And in an area that's already been devastated by war and other um, um, natural disasters, right? And at the same time, like, I haven't been able to, like, wrap my head around what do I share about this, right? Like, what mm-hmm. what is the most impactful thing that I can share about this? And because I do take these things very seriously, and I think sometimes that kind of leaves me in this sort of, like, being being unable to, like, move or take action. You know, but I want to find, like, a reputable source to share this information. Mm -hmm. I want to, if I'm going to share a GoFundMe or, like, where people can donate money, I spend a lot of time doing research to make sure that it's, like, you know, a place that the money's actually going to go to the people impacted that's actually going to help. And so sometimes that's really hard to find, especially when it's something that happens out out of the country, right? It's harder to verify those things. Mm -hmm. I think if the news was doing... A better job like it would be easier to find <laughs> those resources because the news media would would you know potentially do that fact checking and things so um so i sort of like i get like why sometimes it's hard right and it's like okay the thing in syria the earthquake in syria and turkey happened the um the train derailed man. there was another shooting in el paso um mm-hmm. that you know was, it, that happened at a mall last week you know it's like it's like those kind of bigger things and then it's still like you know, Don Lemon, like saying mm-hmm. a woman is, is past her prime in her fifty. Not in her prime. And, <laughs> and it's like all Don. of these things. And I honestly, like, I wake up and I think, okay, today I'm going to, I'm going to share about this. I want, you know, when I want to, I want to amplify these news. And then like, by the time I get to like potentially posting something about it, it's like something else happened. Right. You know, right. and it just, just feels like you can't keep up. Like I can't keep mm-hmm. up. And then I end up sharing nothing because I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. And I just freeze. Right. There's also at the same time,
0: I guess we've all kind of lived our lives partially online. Right. And we work in jobs in some ways where our livelihood is tied to our online activity, or we can use, you know, online to like promote ourselves or whatever it, sometimes it feels like disasters and this is maybe me being cynical or terminally online, are sort of mined for like clout, like Kara, mm. you know, like right after, um, right after Notre Dame burned, right? I'm sure, I don't know why I singled you out, but I feel like you and I would probably both have been annoyed by this in a similar way. <laughs> um, a lot of people were posting pictures of the themselves worst. looking real cute the in worst. front of Notre Dame. Stop yourself. What I mean, what do you make of the way that it seems sometimes that tragedy is? People see that as like content, right? Yeah. Not like I, like, what's the difference between trying to help or direct people to ways that they can help and like drawing attention to a picture where you're looking cute?
2: Oh, I mean, uh, uh, yes, I definitely saw that and was like, "Oh yes, your your semester abroad in Paris is <laughs> definitely the what we need to be talking about right now," you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is weird because yeah, it's just a cultural a culture of centering yourself, right? Like that is what the uh, that is what Instagram is, and so you could make the argument, oh, it, it gets more eyeballs, like a burning church gets less eyeballs when a lot of people are posting it than like me looking hot when I'm 21 on my semester abroad. So maybe I'm doing the right thing here because then my my link in my bio has a great go like a great resource for giving or whatever, you know? So I don't really know what's going through people's minds with that stuff, but it's not a great idea. I think idea. that's where
3: we should draw the line. It's like, don't post a selfie. Yeah. If you're posting about a tragedy yes that, Yeah. I mean, like, that seems like that should be like a pretty
1: simple rule like don't post a Chalisa, selfie that is like pretty black and white that's a good that's a thumb yeah a rule of thumb. Even you know, maybe can even
3: extend it don't post a picture of yourself <laughs> right that yes you know make it broader yeah. not just a selfie like just yeah just don't find something else <laughs> to post like find a news yeah. article to anything post. else find you know yeah 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 something for else. sure <laughs> Somebody actually, I posted something about Turkey and Syria on my Instagram stories and somebody actually fucking responded to that and said how you must visit Turkey and what? then proceeded to tell me, yeah, proceeded to tell me the beautiful sites and food and culture. In, I, I was, I, Is that a bot? No. That's crazy. Definitely not a bot. No. Nope. Oh my God. That's I did obviously I didn't respond. To I just like looked at it and I was like, moving on with my day because <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I should have responded. I mean, I should have responded with 41,000 people died, period.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Oh, that is that is uncomfortable. Kara, you mm-hmm. mentioned at the beginning of the Trump administration that you um were sort of a glutton for punishment in yes. a way. How do you protect your peace and how do you keep your brain from Becoming totally, I, I'm using this word again, maladaptive, when it feels like maybe I, I don't know if the world itself is is worse, but we have more access to all of the ways in which it's worse than yes. I think we've ever had. So, how do you protect your peace when we have so much access to so much information about so many bad things?
2: I mean, Erin, I have two children. Peace is not really a part of my life right now, but um, I will say. Like I had to, I had to disarm that alert. I really don't go on Twitter that much anymore. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to like selectively get my information from places where I feel like they're giving me good info and it's not, um, I don't know, like it's not like more discourse. Like I just want to sort of like soak in the information from reputable sources and not be like in a comment section, I guess. That's how I protect my piece is staying out of the comments. And, um, Yeah. I think that it's, it's, I mean, it really is just like putting down the screens a little bit. I hate to be like a mom about it, but like, and, and I'm not great at it all the time, you know, but I do think we just need to like take a step back. People Like when I, when a big tragedy like that happens, I definitely am like, okay, how can I help? Where can I give? What can I share? And then it's like one, when you feel like you have sort of done for the moment, what you think you can do, you can take a step back and then don't forget about it, like revisit it. But I, yeah, I just don't think there's a comedian named June Diane Raphael who says, I'm not going to take that on right now. It's like Mm a line that she says, I actually have it on a t-shirt and it just says not going to take that on. And it's just like, we can't, you have to protect, like, we can't take everything on, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, I do have the t-shirt. It's very small on me. So everybody, Mm -hmm. if you're going to buy it, size up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Alyssa, how about, how about, You, like, how do you protect your, how did you protect your peace when you were, like, repatriating? Yeah, I mean, Alyssa, I can't. It
1: was, you know, back, it was almost easier because I was doing something, you know? I mean, that's the, it's, it is in the case of, of, of Haiti, which was, I mean, guys, you see me now, you never would have believed that I was hitchhiking around Haiti, like, trying to get to the airport to do my, I mean, it was, it was Crazy, and the things that I saw, I was just like, you know what, this is really hard. I was with Tommy Vitor. We slept at the embassy on the floor together, and uh, we were like, okay, this is this is what we're doing is going to put a family t- at peace. Like we're bringing them peace. It's terrible, but this is what we're doing. And the other stuff we were doing was like helping to with helping with the the army uh, to figure out. How planes could be bringing in supplies and making sure people were bringing the right supplies. And so you feel like you're helping. And that was actually much easier than now looking at things. On the one hand, being a total fucking narcissist and being like, oh, God, I know what I would do right now, you know, which is why. One of the one of the people who I love to support whenever there's a natural disaster, my go to is Chef Jose Andreas. He is feeding the he is feeding the victim the survivors. He's feeding the the people who have been in the tragedy. He's feeding the relief workers who are there giving to themselves. And if it, there's like one person who I feel like he's he's there within hours of anything, and his team is doing things that are literally. Like, like, the things that I felt, and maybe this is helpful, I don't know, but one of the things that I learned, um, you guys, I might cry. Um, one of the things that I learned from Craig Fugate, who was our FEMA director, who I traveled to all these places with, um, especially we spent a lot of time doing um, a Hurricane Superstorm Sandy in New York, and he said that when you are dealing with someone who has been in a tragedy the best thing you can help them do is give back give them back some control of their life right so if you have the choice between donating your clothes to someone if you have this choice right donating your clothes to someone or donating target gift cards donate the target gift cards because then these people who have lost everything you know can go and buy themselves a pair of jeans or something that makes that makes them feel like they have control you know and so i think that like when i try to that's what i always try to think about it's like you know helping is not the time uh, a tragedy is not a time to clean out your closet necessarily right like think about what's actually going to help people who in some instances have absolutely absolutely nothing like like one of the one of the stories that i had read about the shooting up at the buffalo grocery store well guess what it was a food desert before that grocery store. And so the people in that community, that was their grocery store. Who the fuck wants to go back to that grocery store? And so someone in the town had set up the, essentially a GoFundMe slash Instacart where people could, people could. Order food and have it delivered to their house until they felt okay enough to go back to the grocery store once it reopened. Because so many, so, and I come from a town where I grew up where so many people walked to the grocery store. You didn't want to have to get in the car and go. And so, anyway, I feel like the thing that makes it a little bit better is if you actually think about what people need. You know, posting is great, but post about the person setting up the Instacart, you know, so that people can get their food and, 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 figure out how to give people some choices. And and uh, that's that was my very circuitous way of saying that another one of the things that Craig Fugate always used to say was that food is the most one of the most important things. Like to just, you don't give people just a bunch of processed shit that doesn't expire and is totally shelf stable. Like, yes, but give them one meal a day where they can sit down and eat something delicious and feel nourished. And so those are the things that I try to do. But like, tragedy is terrible, guys. And it's, and it is, it's (laughs) honestly, it's really, it is hard for me a lot of times. Like when I think about stuff like that to not just want to go back and do it all again. But, you know, that's the other thing. Relief workers, try to give them some relief. I mean like they are seeing things that none of us will ever ever understand those workers in Syria and Turkey I mean god god bless them and so you know always I always try to remember the relief workers too uh who have yeah, done it's the like things like the
2: Mr. Rogers look exactly. for the helpers
1: thing exactly exactly sorry didn't mean yeah. to get teary can't help it <laughs> <laughs> no i
0: i mean i i can't imagine having seen what you've seen and helped out with, in a, in the way that you've helped out, and and I think that your point about feeling as though you're doing something is really salient, and uh, just feeling as though you're actually providing a material improvement to people who have experienced some kind of unimaginable loss of things that they shouldn't have ever lost right. um, it is something that's, that's really important. Um, well, Alyssa, those were really good tips. And um, I think in our show notes, we should put a, a summary of some of them um, for our listeners. If you want to go back and get Alyssa's tips for how to help, because Alyssa, your tears should not be, not be in vain. No, I Is this hope the first not.
1: time? <laughs> no, I cried. I cried one other time when Petey, my cat Petey passed away. Delisa was there well, for that I, I think, think I was maybe was there I feel like I, I see think you guys were on that four, Alyssa I think that was I think it's <laughs> you guys give me a cat oh also maybe when I've talked about Newtown there are certain things you kind of squish them down and you you yeah. try to go like yeah. you know but you can't you start talking about them and it's good it means that we're alive right
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think that's that's a good note to end on the fact that we feel sad when we see that other people are experiencing loss means that we are human beings with who have made a connection emotionally to our fellow humans, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. To paraphrase slightly something that Julissa said earlier, it's what makes us more human. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do Sanity Corner, I Feel Petty.
5: Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All
4: right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee.
0: And welcome back, Alyssa. We have an announcement for the class before we get to Sandy Petty. I love this new this new vibe. Announcement for the class. I feel like it works. I mean, when Caroline was like, "I don't like housekeeping," I was like, "Well, come up with something better." And then she did. So thanks, Caroline. Thanks for coming up with a good something better than housekeeping. Although I will make fun of you for not liking the (laughs) word housekeeping because that is, I don't know. It seems very, it seems very like Caroline to me, right? To to just be like, "I hate this one word, and we're not using it anymore." Okay. No off years. The important work of political and civic engagement doesn't just happen every two years. 2023 has critical elections, starting
1: with a must-win Supreme Court seat in Wisconsin, which we talked about earlier yes. this episode. Vote Save America's No Off Years program is here to help you stay engaged throughout 2023. Right now, you can donate to our No Off Years Fund to help get out the vote in Wisconsin ahead of their April election and sign up to stay in the loop on what's happening and how you can get involved via remote and in-person volunteer opportunities, targeted donations, and more. Just head to votesaveamerica.com to get started.
0: All right, now let's get to Sandy Petty. I'm going to go first because I've got one kind of waiting in the tank. Mine is a sanity corner slash I feel petty. It's something that's keeping me sane but is also causing me deeply (laughs) petty feelings. And that is the Peacock original series Poker Face. (laughs) What? Uh, I— Yes, the Peacock original series Poker Face starring Natasha Leon, who's great in it. She's fantastic mm-hmm. in it. If you thought she was good in Russian Doll, this is like the next phase in her evolution of being like I don't know, like like a like a star. Whenever she comes on screen, you're like, there she is, like it's Natasha Leon. Yeah. Um it's a mystery of the week show about a woman who has this ability to tell when people are lying. And, um, here's what is keeping me sane. It is like endlessly watchable. It is so fun. Uh, every episode is like kind of a self-contained world. There's an episode with Judith Light in it and it is so good. It is so good. Um, it's really fun. Um, the thing that I'm feeling petty about is that it is really inconsistent in terms of quality. Like I am along for the ride. I'm on, I am in, yes. 100% totally I love this. Love the vibe, love the way it's shot. Um but the quality of the episodes are just like wildly variable. Like the first episode is amazing. The Judith Light episode is amazing. There are other episodes where I'm like I completely do not buy into the premise of this show. <laughs> I do not buy into the premise of this murder. I don't buy into this I don't I don't buy the performance of this person and despite the fact that it is very obvious Very, like, flaws that you just cannot ignore. Some flaws are so obvious that you're just like, I need to take a break from this episode because it's, like, too annoying. But I always come back. So it is both my sanity corner and my I feel petty. And I think part of it is, honestly, because Natasha Leone is such a star. And I absolutely love, love her in this role. She's so much fun. I would pretty much watch her do anything. I feel like this show has let her be... The character is like a lot of fun, super funny. She is just like her timing is so good. Like everything that I liked about her in the first season of Russian Doll, I like triple love about her in in this show. So if you have Peacock, this show is actually I think worth getting Peacock for. If you don't have Peacock, I got it for and Peacock. if you do, I, I got Peacock for it. Oh, oh.
1: oh, you did, I Alyssa. Did. What do you think of it? They're um, ju- the the jury's still out. The first the episode it is the first episode was great but it's like I don't know I'm like I feel like I really have to be in the mood for certain shows and I feel like when I watched it I wasn't really in the mood and so I'm going to I'm going to start over to be honest
2: Okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like, it's like basically it came out of the idea that somebody said during pandemic um, Natasha Leone should play Columbo in a reboot. Right. And I had <laughs> never watched Columbo, but I've never seen a show where like they show the crime first. Like you see what happens. You mm-hmm. know what happens as a viewer the whole time. And then the, the fun is watching her figure it out. And so that's an interesting like conceit to me because I had never watched Columbo or anything that was really like
1: that. I agree. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's just it's fun. I'm really enjoying it. It's a good like after the kids are in bed show,
2: you know, where you you don't. <laughs> oh want to no, want, I like, show it to my kids. They need to see that.
0: <laughs> no, I mean they can see it. That's totally fine. You want to get your kids <laughs> acquainted with murder early, so yeah. that they do not themselves be murdered. Yeah. Um, But like, it's no, it's like an after the kids are in bed show because it's like not stressful. It's all wrapped up in like the one, you know, the one episode. Uh, for the most part, except there's like an A plot that carries over from the first episode sure, throughout yeah. the season that sort of is like this in like danger pursuing her. Um, but like it's it's not too stressful. It's not scary. You're not going to have nightmares from it. I'm mm-hmm. um, I, 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 I like get nightmares from scary movies now. So I can't do scary yeah. movies before bed. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Um, Alyssa, are you going to do
1: Sanity Corner or I feel petty? This I have a Sani. And it's really a thank you to our listeners, because uh, this week is the 10th anniversary of my Oma having passed away, and her gift to the world, among many things, was making her strudel. And so, so many of our listeners had sent recipes, and I found the perfect recipe. My mother agrees, my dad agrees, and so for our birthdays this week, I made strudel, and for the anniversary of Omi's passing, which is the day after my birthday, because as a true German frau she waited until the day after my birthday to pass away so that it would not be on my birthday. But we had it, and it was like, it was such a joy. I gave it, I saw my mom last night, and I brought her the strudel. And it was just like, it sounds so silly. It just brings us such joy. It's like she's there with us, and I would not have it. We would not have it were it not for everyone taking my call for the recipe so seriously, specifically about how there was like sour cream involved, and it's not crispy. And so wow. anyway, Several listeners uh, sent in uh, recipes that I basically smushed into one, and it is perfect. So thank you. You made my week very sane. Oh, that is uh, such a good story. It's it's so lovely. It's like so nice. It was like a two-year-long
0: strudel hunt. It was. I'm sure there's like a – And a hysteria listeners
1: got it down. They got it. They got it for it. They got it done for us. They figured it out. They figured mm-hmm. it out. Uh, Amazing. Okay,
0: Julissa, are you feeling petty this week, or do you have a sanity corner?
3: Well, I don't know how to follow that. (laughs) Now I feel like I should be warm and fussy and tell a good story. No, no. But I have like a a stew of I feel petty. It's like I was having a hard time deciding what I should be most petty about because between – you know, meta announcing that they're also doing this stupid-ass verified uh, subscription so bullshit. So
0: stupid. So
3: stupid. George Lopez basically being like, you have to look out for yourself and, like, basically admitting that he doesn't like to help other people um come up. And then, like, between Kendall Jenner fucking... Laying her eyes on Bad Bunny. And... <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you
0: you are like, protect Bad Bunny at all costs. Not today. Protect Satan. him,
3: but also, like, you know, it's also a little bit on him. But, like, I get it. I get it. I get why Bad Bunny is, like, making out with Kendall Jenner. I mean, get it in and then get out, Bad Bunny. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, like undiagnosed pregnancy pains uh and and i'm also i feel like i'm making myself feel petty because like i can't like i feel like i've become that heavy breather on like phone calls you know like i'm just like <laughs> like like, like i can't i can't breathe normal anymore so i i really i cannot pick one of those things but like all of those things are making me feel like incredibly petty and oh and i forgot and the instagram algorithm which shows me things like oh, totally. three totally days after they happened and Ugh. then i go tell fernando like hey did you know this thing happened he's like yeah that happened last week i saw it on reddit and it's like <laughs> well i don't i fucking don't know how to use reddit like i've tried and i just can't figure i can't figure it out i need like a pretty aesthetic pleasing yeah. pleasingly aesthetic thing to tell me what's going on So anyways, I am feeling very petty, Um, probably partly to do with, you know, pregnancy hormones and the fact that, like, (sighs) I feel like there's no more space. There's just, like, no more space and I have nine weeks to go. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I
0: I so – I relate to this so hard. I I hear you. I recognize you. I acknowledge you. That is (laughs) so real. I remember in the end of pregnancy – being, I was, like, terrified the whole time, even though I, like, try, acted cool about it. I was not cool at all. I was terrified the whole time. And you get all these weird symptoms, and you Google them. You go to Dr. Google, and Dr. Google is like, well, it could be this, which means, you know, which is totally normal. Or it could be this, which is the worst thing in the world. And we just don't really know. And yeah. we just can't really test for it. And, um, yeah, so you're just kind of on yeah. your own.
3: Yeah, and it's like, well, you know, your choices are— go to the emergency room, go to labor and delivery. And I did go to labor and delivery this week because I was like, I don't know what this is. And and if I could just call my doctor, that's what I would prefer to do. But since, since my healthcare, like I don't have, you know, I don't, there's not a phone number that I can call directly and call my doctor. Yep. So it's like, okay, well then I'm going to go to labor and delivery, even though I don't feel like I'm about to deliver this baby. Yeah, but that's it's, a kaf- it
0: it's Kafka-esque. Everything is like, call your doctor, but your doctor's like, don't call me. So it <laughs> yeah. like, it, it's like, just... message ugh. me. Okay, I messaged yeah.
3: you, and now it's been a week, and I mm. could have died in that week. They tell you and to message to through, like, the portal? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, and it's like, okay, I portal. messaged you, but now it's been a week, and I haven't heard from you. And, you know, luckily I have other resources, like I have a doula and, you know, yeah. like, that, that are helpful. So I probably need to, like go for a walk and then take a nap and then try to try to reset my reboot. Yeah. thinking. <laughs> yeah. Reboot, Control alt delete. Yeah, Do a, a
0: hard reboot. That's what a, a walk and a nap is a hard reboot. Yeah. Um, Kara, are you feeling petty or do you have a
2: sanity corner for us this week? I guess I'm going to go sane. I honestly can't remember if I've done this before, but I'm going to tell you that listen, you're talking about nightmares and everyone's talking about the last of us. I cannot watch that show. I got a Mm-mm. glimpse of what one of the zombies looks like. And I was like, absolutely hard. No, that, that like my husband's like, it's big. It's based on a video game. I'm like, I cannot get images like that out of my head. I don't no. want that. And so I go the other way. And at the risk of, alienating all of your highbrow listeners, I am a huge Real Housewives fan. And I feel like throughout the entire pandemic and having second kid and feeling like I have no time to catch up with a lot of the prestige television that everyone's telling me to watch, the thing I am always caught up on is the fucking Real Housewives. (laughs) And one of them is on Peacock, The Real Housewives of Miami. And I'm telling you, these ladies are insane, but there is something really nice about like, they're in Florida. You can feel it's warm. They're all wearing bright colors. They're all crazy. They're fighting with each other. <laughs> like, I I do think like that you could, you could probably read a lot of like feminist um, literature about The Housewives and how it's bad. But I do think it elevates the stories of older women in a way that we never see on television. And I think that that, and like, it allows like, Women of, of like a, a quote unquote a certain age, like just women over 30 to be like, you know, sec, have sex issues and sexy, to like look sexy and, and be getting divorced, getting remarried, having babies. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of like a thing you don't always see. And it really feels like a warm blanket over me when I'm at the <laughs> end of a day where I've maybe ingested too much. I've been participating in too much collective grief or I've seen too much news. And I'm like, at least I can watch the ladies on Potomac scream at each other in a really funny way. <laughs> so that's my sanity. I don't know if I've already done that on this podcast. Please feel free to DM me directly and tell me that I'm a non-creative bitch. <laughs>
0: Oh man! Uh, well, that was a great note to end on uh, of, of an episode where we talk about collective grief. Jalisa and Kara, thank you so much for joining us this week. Alyssa Master Monaco, happy birthday! Happy you.
1: birthday today. Thank
0: you. That we by the time our listeners hear this, it'll be the day after Alyssa's birthday. But we're going to put this out there. So if you want to give Alyssa a birthday present, Alyssa adopted her cats from uh, an organization. Known as Happy Homes Animal Rescue, and we are going to put a link to Happy Homes Animal Rescue in our show notes. If you want to give Alyssa a little birthday present, you can make a donation in her name. Something—it's like fifty dollars saves like three
1: cats there or something so like that. So many like like people need everything. So any amount, five dollars, any amount is uh, is of benefit to to Happy Homes, the loveliest uh, loveliest people in New Jersey that I know. Oh, well, happy birthday, Alyssa. Thank and li- listeners,
0: thank you to you for tuning in every week. There will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonico is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot.